Part two, chapter two of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. He is coming, cried one of the signal men. The regimental commander, flushing scarlet, ran to his horse, seized the stirrup with trembling hands, threw himself into the saddle, straightened himself up, drew his sabre, and with a radiant, resolute face, drew his mouth to one side, ready to shout his order. A shiver ran through the regiment, as though it were a great bird about to spread its wings. Then it became motionless. "'Eyes front!' cried the regimental commander, in a voice trembling with emotion. Pleasant as it sounded to himself, it was peremptory toward the regiment, and suggestive of welcome to the approaching chief. Along the broad highway, unpaved, shaded with trees, came a high Viennese calash, painted blue, and swinging easily on its springs, as its six horses trotted briskly along. Behind it galloped the suite, and an escort of Croatians. Next Kutuzov sat the Austrian general, in white uniforms, which made a peculiar contrast with the dark Russian ones. The calash drew up near the regiment, Kutuzov and the Austrian general were engaged in conversation in low tones, and Kutuzov smiled slightly as he slowly and heavily stepped down from the carriage, exactly as though the two thousand men who were breathlessly gazing at him and the regimental commander did not exist. The word of command rang out, and again the regiment stirred into life and presented arms. In the dead silence the undertone of the commander-in-chief was heard. The regiment shouted, long life to your highness and again all was still at first kutuzov stood where he was and watched the regiment go through this evolution then side by side with the general in the white uniform and accompanied by his suite he started to walk down the line by the way in which the regimental commander had saluted his chief and kept his eyes fastened upon him and now followed behind the two generals as they walked down the lines and as he drew himself up and bent forward to listen to every word that fell from their lips, it was evident that he fulfilled his duties as a subordinate with even greater satisfaction than he did those of a commander. The regiment, thanks to the commander's stern discipline and strenuous endeavors, was in excellent condition compared to the others which had come to Brunau at the same time. There were only two hundred and seventeen sick and stragglers, and all things were in excellent order with the exception of the shoes. Kutuzov proceeded down the ranks, occasionally stopping to say a few friendly words to officers, or even privates whom he had known during the war with Turkey. Glancing at their shoes, he more than once shook his head mournfully, and directed the Austrian general's attention to them, with an expression that meant to imply that no one was to blame for it, but it was a pity, all the same, to see such a state of things." The regimental commander, at each time that he did so, pushed forward, fearing to lose a single word that his chief might speak regarding his regiment. Behind Kutuzov, just near enough to be able to catch every word, however lightly spoken, that might fall from his lips, followed the twenty men of his suite, talking among themselves and occasionally laughing. Nearest to the commander-in-chief walked a handsome adjutant. This was Prince Bolkonsky, Next him went his messmate, Nesvitsky, a tall and remarkably stalwart staff officer, with a kindly, smiling, 
handsome face, and liquid eyes. Nesvitsky could hardly refrain from laughing at the antics of a dark-complexioned officer of the hussars who was walking near him. The hussar officer, without smiling, and not changing the serious expression of his eyes, gazed at the regimental commander's back and was mimicking his every motion. Every time that the general tottered and pushed forward, the young hussar officer would, in almost precisely the same way, totter and push forward. Nesvitsky was amused, and nudged the others to look at the mimic. Kutuzov walked slowly and lazily in front of the thousands of eyes that were starting from their sockets to follow the motions of the chief. As he came along to Company 3, he suddenly halted. The suite, not anticipating this halt, involuntarily crowded up close to him. "'Ah, Timokin!' cried the commander-in-chief, recognizing the red-nosed captain, the one who had been obliged to suffer on account of the blue capote. It would seem as though it were impossible for him to draw himself up higher than he had done during the scolding administered by the regimental commander. But now that the commander-in-chief stopped to speak to him, the captain put such a strain upon himself that it seemed as though he could not stand it should the commander-in-chief stay a moment longer, and accordingly Kutuzov, evidently appreciating his position and being anxious to show every kindness to the captain, hastened to turn away, a scarcely perceptible smile flitting over his plump, scarred face. "'Another comrade of Ismailo,' said he. "'A brave officer. Are you satisfied with him?' asked Kutuzov of the regimental commander. The regimental commander, who, unknown to himself, was mimicked as in a mirror by the officer of hussars, started as if stung sprang forward and replied very well satisfied your high excellency we all of us have our weaknesses continued kutuzov smiling and turning away his used to be his devotion to bacchus the regimental commander was alarmed lest he were to blame for this and found no words to reply the hussar at this instant caught sight of the captain with the red nose and rounded belly and perpetrated such an exact imitation of his face and pose that Nesvitsky laughed outright. Kutuzov turned around. It was evident that the young officer had perfect command of his features, for at the instant that Kutuzov turned round the officer's face had assumed the most serious, deferential, and innocent of expressions. The third company was the last, and Kutuzov paused, evidently trying to recollect something. Prince Andrei stepped out from the suite and said in French in an undertone, you ordered me to remind you of Dolokhov, who was cashiered to this regiment. Where is this Dolokhov? Dolokhov, who now wore the grey military capote, did not wait to be summoned. Kutuzov saw a well-built soldier with light curly hair and bright blue eyes come forth from the ranks and present arms. A grievance? asked Kutuzov, slightly frowning. That is Dolokhov, said Prince Andrei. Ah? exclaimed Kutuzov. I hope that you will profit by this lesson. Do your duty. The Emperor is merciful, and I will not forget you, if you deserve well. The clear blue eyes looked into the chief's face, with the same boldness as at the regimental commander's, their expression seeming to rend the veil of rank that so widely separated the commander-in-chief from the private soldier. I should like to ask one favor, your high excellency, said he deliberately, in a firm, ringing voice. I beg that you give me a chance to wipe out my fault and show my devotion to His Majesty, the Emperor, 
and to Russia. Kutuzov turned away. The same sort of smile flashed over his face and through his eyes, as at the time when he turned away from Captain Timokhin. He turned away and frowned, as though he wished to express by this that all that Dolokhov had said to him, and all that he could possibly say to him, he had known long, long ago, and that it was all a bore to him, and that it was so much wasted breath. He turned away and went back to the kalash. The regiment broke up into companies, and marched to the quarters assigned them not far from Brunau, where they hoped to get shoes and clothes and rest after their long marches. "'You will not complain of me, will you, Prokhor Ignatyich?' asked the regimental commander, galloping after the third company and overtaking Captain Timokhin, who rode at their head. The general's face shone with unrestrained delight at the successful outcome of the review. The service of the Tsar. Can't help. One flies off. I am the first to apologize. You know me. Thank you very much. And he held out his hand to the captain. I beg of you, general. How could I think such a thing? replied the captain. His nose grew scarlet, and he smiled, the smile betraying the lack of two front teeth which had been knocked out by the butt-end of a gun, under Ismailo. And assure Mr. Dolokhov that I shall not forget him, to rest easy on that score. And tell me, please, I have been wanting for some time to ask you, how does he behave? And always. He is very regular in his duty, Your Excellency, but his temper, said Dimulgan. Well, what of his temper? demanded the regimental commander. Some days, Your Excellency, he goes it, said the captain, but otherwise he is intelligent and well-informed and quiet, and then again he is a wild beast. In Poland he almost killed a Jew. You will have the grace to know. Yes, yes, said the regimental commander. We must always be easy on a young man in misfortune. You see he has influential connections, so you had better... I understand, Your Excellency, rejoined Timokhin, with a smile that showed that he understood his chief's desires. Yes, yes, just so. The regimental commander sought out Dolokhov in the ranks and reined in his horse. Epilots at the first engagement, said he. Dolokhov looked up, but made no answer and did not alter the expression of the ironical smile that curled his lips. Well, this is very good, continued the regimental commander. A glass of vodka to the men from me, he added, loud enough to be heard by the soldiers. I thank you all. Slava Brohu. Glory to God. And he rode on and overtook the next company. Well, it's a fact. He's a good man and not hard to serve under, said Timokhin, to a subaltern riding next him. In a word, very hearty, said the subaltern officer, laughing at his own joke. The regimental commander was nicknamed the King of Hearts. The cheerful frame of mind felt by the officers after the review was shared also by the men. The regiment marched along merrily. On all sides were heard the voices of the soldiers talking. How is it? They say Kutuzov is blind in one eye. Well, so he is, quite blind. Nay, brother, he can see better than you can. He inspected our boots and leg wrappers and everything. My, when he looked at my legs, I didn't know what I was standing on. And that other one, the Avstriak who was with him, I should think he was whitewashed, white as flour. Think what a job to clean that uniform. Say, Fedeshow, did he say when we should begin to be on our guard? You were in the front. 
I was told that Bonaparte himself was at Brunova. Bonaparte here? What a lie, you fool! Don't you know anything? Now the Prusk is up in arms, and the Avstriak, of course, have got to put him down, and when he's put down, then there'll be war with Bonaparte, and yet they say Bonaparte is here at Brunova. Anybody can see you was a fool. Keep your ears peeled, you idiot. The devil! What sort of quartermasters these are! See, there's the fifth company turning off into the village. They'll have their kasha-pots boiling before we get in. Give me a biscuit, you devil. Didn't I give you some tobacco last evening? Too thin, brother. Well, then, God be with you. Oh, I wish they'd call a halt. The idea of marching five verse more on an empty stomach. What you'd like to be for those Germans to give us a lift in their carriages. Then you'd go easy enough. That would be fine. But here, brother, see all these beggarly people come out. The Polyaks, back there, belong to the Russian crown. But here, brother, there's nothing but Germans come out. Singers to the front, cried the captain. A score of men from the different companies ran to their places at the head of the column. The drummer who led the singing faced the singers and waved his arms, and struck up the drawling soldier's song, beginning with the words, Is it the dawn, and has the red sun risen? and ending, Well, boys, what glory we shall win with Father Kamensky. This song had been composed in Turkey, and was now sung in Austria, with simply this variation, that in place of Father Kamensky, Father Kutuzov was substituted. The drummer, a stalwart, handsome fellow, forty years old, having sung these last words in staccato, soldier style, made a gesture with his hands as though he were throwing something to the ground, looked sternly at his singers, and frowned. Then, feeling the consciousness of all eyes being fastened upon him, he lifted his arms high above his head, as though he were carrying with the greatest care some invisible and precious object, and holding them so for several moments, he suddenly flung it down with a despairing gesture, singing, Ach, voiceni, moiseni, Ah, my cottage, my cottage. While twenty voices took up the refrain, and a spoon-maker, disregarding the weight of his equipment, friskily danced ahead and walked backwards before the company, shrugging his shoulders and making gestures of defiance with his spoons. The soldiers, clapping their hands in time with the measure of the song, marched in step. Behind them were heard the rattle of wheels, the creaking of springs, and the trampling of horses' feet. It was Kutuzov and his suite, on their way back to the city. The commander-in-chief signified that the men should keep on as they were, and he and all his suite showed by their faces how much they enjoyed the music of the songs, the sight of dancing soldier, and the bold and buoyant appearance of the company. Conspicuous in the second file of the right flank, near which the collage passed, was Dolokhov, the blue-eyed private, as he marched along with an extraordinarily bold and graceful gait, keeping time to the song and looking into the faces of the passing officers with an expression that seemed to smack of pity for all that did not march with his company. The cornet of hussars in Kutuzov's suite, who had mimicked the regimental commander, fell behind the calash and drew up along Dolokhov. Zerkarf, this cornet of hussars, had at one time belonged to the same wild set in Petersburg, of which Dolokhov was the leader. Here abroad, Zerkov met Dolokhov in the ranks, but did not find it expedient to recognize him at first. Now, however, 
since Kutuzov had set the example by talking with the degraded officer, he went to him with all the cordiality of an old friend. "'My dear fellow, how are you?' said he, right in the midst of the song, as he walked his horse abreast of the company. "'How am I?' replied Dolokhov. "'As you see.' The military song gave special significance to the tone of easy good fellowship in which Zerkov spoke, and the pronounced coolness of Dolokhov's answer. "'And how do you get along with your chiefs?' asked Zerkov. "'All right. Good fellows. How did you manage to get on the staff?' "'I am attached. On duty.' Neither spoke. Vyupuskala Sokolt, da is pravava rukad. She unleashed the falcon, and from the right sleeve, rang out the song, involuntarily inspiring a bold, blithe feeling. Their talk would probably have been different if they had not spoken while the singing was in progress. "'Is it true that the Austrians are beaten?' asked Dolokhov. "'The devil only knows, so they say.' "'I'm glad of it,' exclaimed Dolokhov curtly, as though the song demanded it of him. "'Say, come to us this evening.' You'll have a chance at Faro, said Zerkov. Did you bring a good deal of money with you? Come. I can't. I've sworn off. I neither drink nor play till I'm promoted. Well, that'll come first engagement. We shall see. Again they relapsed into silence. Look in, anyway, if you need anything. The staff will help you. Dolokhov laughed. Don't make yourself uneasy. If I need anything, I shall not ask for it. I'll take it. Well, I mean, well, and so do I mean. Goodbye. Farewell. Ivwizako ivdaliko, norodomu storanu. High and far in our fatherland. Zerkov put spurs to his horse, which pranced and danced, not knowing with which foot to start, and then, with a spring, galloped off, leaving the company far behind, and overtook the calash while still the rhythm of the song seemed to wing its feet. End of chapter 2